0: I'd like to welcome Pastor Jay as he's going to preach today. Thank you, Larry. Thank you, gentlemen. Well, it seems that um, Jesus coming back to life is the worst-kept secret today. That's a good secret to not keep. We're going to get started this morning, and as we do, let's just bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for what we're celebrating here today, Lord. I ask right now, Lord, that the words that you give me, Lord, would reveal your heart, would reveal the story about your son. And Lord, that you would draw our hearts to you today as we recount again what you did 2,000 years ago, what we're celebrating here today. I invite you, Holy Spirit, to speak words to our hearts that I'm not even going to utter today, that you would fit puzzle pieces together that have long been drifting apart, that you'd fill in the gaps and that you would reveal Jesus to us today. We thank you. In your name. Amen. Well, before I we get started today, I want to do just a couple pieces of housekeeping. Thanks for everybody who's here today. If you wore your mask, thank you. Uh, when you're sitting down, you don't have to be wearing your masks. You can take them off when we're singing. You can take them off. When you're milling about, talking to each other, I'd encourage you, please, Have your masks on. We want to do that just for the safety of everybody and one another. For over a year now, we've had a a no-touch policy here at our father's house, which has been strictly followed by everybody. It's not been strictly followed by everybody. I want to just tell you today, we've been talking as a leadership team, and we really just want to say, at this point, please, social distance. But we understand that you guys are wanting to bump elbows. Sometimes you're wanting to hug each other and all that. Just ask each other. Just ask each other. Is it okay if I give you a hug? And feel free to say, no, that's okay, I'm not doing that right now. So you're empowered to say, nope, but you're also empowered to ask. Okay? But otherwise, still just baseline, moving around, keep that social distance with each other. It's just good respect for one another in the season that we're in, but we love each other. A lot of us are wanting that contact. A lot of us are needing that contact Keep your masks on, and we're good to go, okay? All right. Amen. I'm looking forward to some hugs coming out of here. Also, want to give you guys a heads up that uh, this next Saturday from 5 to 7 here, we're planning it for the back lawn. We're going to be having a concert with uh, the Christian Fellowship of Southern Maryland, which we are a part of. It's a group of churches here in Southern Maryland. We've been doing prayer at the fair with them. We did the the Christmas concert uh, online virtually this year. Uh, we've done. Uh, we did the prayer walk with this group uh, earlier last year. So we're going to be doing a, a spring concert, which is held annually, and we're hosting it here at our father's house. We're planning to do it right here on the back lawn, five to seven on Saturday, the 10th of April. If we get rained out, we're going to move it indoors. Uh, but it's going to be a really great time for us to come together as as the church in Southern Maryland and just praise the Lord and lift Him up. And so we've got, I think, uh, six or seven churches that are are planning on sharing song. Uh, during that time. So I encourage you to come out. It's going to be a really great time. We're building relationship through these types of events. This is an annual thing and we here at our Father's House have the blessing of being able to host it this year. And I'm really hoping we can do it outdoors because this is a great event. I mean, just look around how many people are here right now. We can't fit this many people in the building right now, so this is great. We're glad to have you here. All right, so I shared with many of you that that this year the Lord's emphasis has been He wants us to be committed to Him. He wants us to be committed to his word and he really wants us to be committed to one another. And we've been digging into that this year. We've been working on foundational things within uh, within our faith. And it's been wonderful just getting into doctrine, getting into uh, some just basic truths of the Bible, of our faith, and really refocusing our commitment to him and to him alone. Now, we've been doing that this year but i'd say if you've been with us over the course of this last year 2020 2021 the lord keeps calling us back to focusing on him and so these these past couple of weeks i've been sharing with you about being holy and being his we've talked about how we can live a holy life set apart because of what jesus has done for us we talked about the opportunity that we have now to be his because we've been bought with a price The precious blood of Jesus Christ has bought us, has paid the price for our sin, and given us a way to the Father. We have the opportunity to be His now, and not to be slaves to sin any longer, but we can be slaves to righteousness, how it puts it in the Bible. We have the opportunity now to be ruled by righteousness and not be ruled by sin. Now, there's two messages about that. Go back, look at our website, and check them out. Today, we're talking about being alive in Christ. That's the focus. We get to be alive in Christ. We get to have new life in Him today. And so we're starting this Resurrection Sunday with that end goal in mind in this message. And Jesus, when He went to the cross, it wasn't the first time that this idea of Him dying on the cross and being resurrected was communicated in the whole story that was going on he actually had been talking to his disciples about the fact that he had to go and do this it's amazing to me as i read back through this you realize he'd been talking about this with these guys it'd be like if you're if you were spending all this time with somebody days and days and days weeks and months and years with them and they start telling you hey we're going to be going to jerusalem i'm going to have uh i'm going to get persecuted i'm going to have uh, i'm going to get in trouble with all these folks they're going to be ruthless to me i'm going to suffer i'm going to die and on the third day, I'm going to raise, be raised to life again. He'd been talking about this with them. But it's still a to them. Let's look at this in Matthew, chapter 16. By the way, I hope you brought your Bibles with you today. Some of you have the old manual kind. Some of you have this new digital version at home. You might get something put up on the screen. You're lucky. But really... Ultimately, get your Bibles out. If you have an app, get into it. you got to see what's being said in the Scripture. You want to become familiar with what the wording looks like. If you have a, a, the ability to highlight things, highlight things, because these are important Scriptures for you. These are important for your journey with the Lord through life because you're going to go back through these things, and you want to see the traces of the footsteps that you've been through in the Bible. If you have the manual paper kind, get your pens out, get your highlighters out mark these things up for the same reasons it says this in Matthew 16 starting in verse 13 when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi he asked his disciples who do people say the son of man is they replied some say John the Baptist others say Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets but what about you he asked who do you say I'm these are the guys that have been walking with and this is the people that have been following him Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. So, The rock is the revelation that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. It's the foundation that he's built the church upon. And it says this, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. That word there, must, is important. That's a divine must. It's an imperative. He has to do this. He has to do it. And six days later, he's gone to the mountain. He brought Peter, James, and John up with him. They see him transfigured. And it says this, As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anybody what you've seen until... This is chapter 17, verse 9. Until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. See, he's not kept this a secret with those that are close with him. He's been telling this whole time, I'm going to be raised from the dead. I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised from the dead. Keep these things, uh, don't share this with anybody until that time happens. And later on, in verse 22, the same chapter, it says this, When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day, he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. So there's something about this that they're understanding. They're digesting this message. They know that he's going to die. They know that he's going to come to life again. And they're filled with grief. Now their focus is on the side of the cross that they're sitting on, because they can't imagine the glory that's coming on the other side of that. They don't have any context for the glory that's coming on the other side of that. They're filled with grief, thinking about Him dying. Lord, how's that going to happen? I'm going to take you away from us? What's that going to mean? I think about the the fear and the anguish and the anxiety that they might be feeling in that, for, for them to be grieved by that piece of news, Because if they were focused on the resurrection, they'd be excited, right? They'd be excited that he's going to die, and then he's going to raise to life again. This is awesome. But all they could see is that he's going to die. Folks, when we're in this season, when we're in this Passion Week, this Holy Week, we focus on what he does coming to the cross. But here on Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday, we have the opportunity to see the cross from the other side. It says he's risen. He's overcome death. He's defeated it. Because that third day is coming. Like Brandon was talking about this morning, that was a long weekend for some folks. That's a long weekend waiting. I'm sure they were wrestling with their understanding of what was going on. Because that third day was coming. Now let's look a little bit ahead of that. In John chapter 11, this is when Jesus goes to Bethany because Lazarus has fallen asleep, remember? He's died. He's four days in the ground. And when Jesus gets there, he comes to Martha, and Martha says, "'Lord,' this is John 17, starting in verse 21, "'If you had been here, my brother would not have died, "'but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask.'" She knows that Jesus can change this situation. As impossible as it looks, she knows that he can change this situation. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. still true. It's still true. But Jesus says this to her. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. That's quite a claim by a man, by the way. Just stop right there. That's quite a, cl- a claim to say, Hey, Mary, um, I am the resurrection. And the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? That's a huge claim. Imagine somebody standing in front of you and saying that, and your brother has just died. Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. So she stands there in the midst of her grief and despair, and she says, yes, I believe. You are the Messiah. Now we know that Jesus does raise Lazarus. He comes out of the grave. He has new life right there. Now, he's still going to get resurrected at the end with the rest of us who've given our hearts to Jesus, who believe on him. But Jesus is demonstrating here that he has power over death. He has life in himself, and he can give it. But can he raise himself to life? It's one thing to raise somebody else to life but to raise your own self to life now that's something totally different Jesus is the Messiah but he has a particular identity in eternity When John the Baptist is baptizing people at the River Jordan. He sees Jesus coming. And here in John chapter 1, verse 29, it says this, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, What? Look! Behold! The Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. John is identifying him from an eternal perspective. This is who this is. This is the Lamb of God Who's come to take away the sins of the world? Now, lambs being used as sacrifice for sin is something that God wrote into history across millennia. He created an entire context in the Jewish culture by His chosen people to set the stage for the real Lamb of God to come and take away the sins of the world. This culture is very familiar with lambs being sacrificed importance of the blood of the Lamb. But for John to say, that's the Lamb of God. That person that you see right there, that man, he is the Lamb of God and he's come to take away the sins of the world. This was John's purpose. He was called and appointed to make the paths straight for the Lord. To call people to repentance so they could hear what he was saying. And so when he identifies Jesus, this is This is an important time in his ministry because he's been watching. He's been waiting. He was created for this. He was destined for this. He was destined and called to be the one who could say that. You see, John, his father, is a priest. So John, being the firstborn and only son of his father, he inherits that priestly line. But then, see, John also is a Nazarite. He's taken a special vow. He's extra clean. So he's like this super priest. And he says, that's the Lamb of God that comes to take away the sins of the world. Don't you find it interesting that Jesus was born in Bethlehem? A lot of times we gloss over this aspect At Christmas. Yes, he was born in Bethlehem. Yes, there's the star. Bethlehem is where the lambs that are sacrificed at the temple are raised. That's, that's the purpose. That's the economy of Bethlehem. Raising lambs to go up the road to Jerusalem to be sacrificed for sin. So, Jesus, of course, the Lamb of God, had to be born in Bethlehem. And who are the first people to receive the news that he was born? Shepherds. Those that care for sheep. So they come to behold the Lamb. They are told, This is him. This is who you've been waiting for. This is the Messiah. And then Jesus comes as the Lamb to John. The super priest who washes him in the Jordan River. See, lambs had to be washed, and then they had to go through a time of inspection. And so for three years, Jesus gets inspected by the Pharisees, by the teachers of the law. All these people that are there poking him and prodding him and trying to find fault in him. And what do they find? Nothing. They have nothing that they can get over him because he is pure and he is spotless. In Revelation 13, verse 8, it says this, that Jesus says this, All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. See, from the foundations of time, God knew that he would need to send himself His Son, to pay the ultimate price for sin because there's no other way. Those lambs that were slain over and over and over daily, 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 ad nauseum for centuries, for millennia, couldn't actually pay the price for our sins. It couldn't really atone you for your whole life. It would cover your sins. But it never ultimately bought you freedom. God knew this. The type in the shadow of the The actual lamb sets up the stage, like I said, for Jesus, the pure and spotless lamb to come. See, God designed with the end in mind. So at the very beginning, before it all happened, Jesus said, I'll go. I'll be the pure and spotless lamb. I'll make a way. So the lamb was slain in eternity from before time began. The decision was already made and it plays out in time. So when Jesus comes to scene, and he lives the pure and spotless life, and he is the lamb, he offers a sacrifice like no one ever could possibly offer. In Hebrews 9, verses 11 and 12, we see this. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. Because remember, they had a tabernacle. It was a type and a shadow of what's going on in heaven. That is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. See, this priest didn't offer... A different lamb's blood. He offered his own blood. He offered the perfect sacrifice. And read in the next chapter here in Hebrews ten, verses one through fourteen. This is talking here about that type in shadow being replaced by Jesus. His actual sacrifice. I'll wait for the plane to go over so you can hear me. All right. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then he said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. For he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Jesus replaced what was there before. It's no longer valid in any way. Because the real has come. The shadow was there. The type was there. But he came as the perfect high priest, the perfect spotless lamb, and replaced it all. Now let's let's look at this moment of the cross. Some of you saw on Facebook, we talked about this a little bit on Friday. This moment on the cross and the timing of it is, is just amazing because God... God does something really special. Remember, he's been saying he's he's set up these sacrifices as the the type in the shadow. And we see in the the Jewish culture, at 9 o'clock in the morning, we have the the morning sacrifice. And at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, we have the evening sacrifice. There's two sacrifices take place in that day. What happened to Jesus at 9 o'clock in the morning? Scripture tells us that's when he gets nailed to the cross. He gets crucified at nine o'clock in the morning when there's a sacrifice taking place in the temple not even a mile away. You see, the Lamb of God who is slain before the foundations of the world, this is something that's echoing through eternity. And then we have in time and space, we have this shadow, this type of the Lamb of God, where the Lamb's being slain. And then we have everything come together, superimposed in this one moment, where Jesus is here as the pure and spotless Lamb, being hung on the cross, being sacrificed at the same time as that sacrifice is happening that morning. And then we know that it's about three o'clock in the afternoon the time of the evening sacrifice when he gives up his spirit. His experience on the cross spans that entire time. You can't make this stuff up, folks. Go read it in your Bible. It's right there. He was on the cross for six hours. Now the thieves that were next to him made it longer. So why was it that he expired before then? Because he was experiencing something like nobody else ever had before or ever will since. He was ridiculed by those that were around him. He was suffering their insults. But then we see this. That from noon till three, something very significant happens. It says this in Matthew 27, starting verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. Think about that. We Think about what we were singing this morning. Think about what we know to be true. That Jesus bore the weight of our sin. Not just my sin, not just your sin, not everybody that's here, but everybody across time. He, he bore the weight of all that sin, all that shame, all that hurt. He took to the cross for us. He actually bore that in His own body on the cross. And the weight of that sin was so intense, I submit to you, that it began to manifest itself in a physical way where darkness covers the land. For three hours, He's under the weight of that thing, suffering it. This is the pure and spotless Lamb who had never done anything wrong. He was guiltless of any sin bearing the weight of it all and darkness covers the whole land and about three in the afternoon it tells us that he cried out in a loud voice and basically says this my God my God why have you forsaken me theologians will tell you this is the one time that he was separated from the father as he bore all that sin. And when some of those standing there heard that, they said, ah, he's calling Elijah. They kept ridiculing him. And then at the end we know this, he cries out in a a loud voice. And he says, it is finished. And then he tells his father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathes his last. And look at this. In Matthew, we see this. Verse 51. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. About all that pressure, everything that he was carrying. And he gives up his spirit, and boom, the earth breaks. The veil that was there to to separate separate us from the most holy place is torn from the top to the bottom go back and look at how thick that veil is how tall that thing is i can't even rip a phone book what's a phone book sorry gen z <laughs> but it's torn from the top to the bottom The earth shook, the rocks split, the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. And they came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. This is big stuff. And when the centurion who was standing there saw all this said, Surely he was the Son of God. And that's all fine and dandy. But the third day is coming. The third day is coming. So remember I said Jesus made bold claims. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He said, the Father's given me the authority to lay my life down and take it back up again. He said, I'm going to go into the ground and then I'm going to come back on the third day. He said, Anybody who believes in me and follows me is going to have eternal life. He said, I'm the bread of life. If you eat of me, you're never going to hunger again. You're never going to thirst again. He's dead in the ground. So there's an earthquake. So the veil tore. These we've never seen things like this happen before. But we're still on this side of the cross. We're still on this side of the cross. See none of it actually means anything ultimately unless he's resurrected. we see in first Corinthians 15 verse 14 Paul says this and if Christ has not been raised our preaching is useless and so is your faith because Paul res- he recognizes that everything hinges on whether Jesus is going to make it out of the ground three days later. Because everything else he said has come to pass. Everything else that he has claimed, every prophecy he has fulfilled has come to pass, except except this. Does he actually have victory over death? Does he actually have victory over the grave? Paul goes on to say this in verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, Adam the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man for as Adam for as in Adam all die so in Christ all will be made alive now each of the gospels has an account of the resurrection go through and read them I'm going to focus on Luke right now in Luke 24 we see this starting verse 1 on the first day of the week so remember that's Friday in the, in the way uh, the, the Jewish culture works, a part of a day is considered a day. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday. This Friday afternoon, he passes away. All day on Saturday, he's in the tomb. And Sunday morning, Sunday morning, that third day, he's raised to life. There's not a whole lot in the scriptures about what took place on Saturday. It's the day of rest. It's the Sabbath. They didn't go and prepare his body that day. They were going Sunday morning to prepare his body. But the Lord's resting during that day. His people are resting during that day. And then Sunday, he comes forth in new life. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about that about this suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, "Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen." He is risen. Remember how he told you? So now he's reminding them. Hey, remember? He told you this is going to happen. The son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day again, Then they remembered his words. Now at first blush we might look at this and say, you know, he repeated this so many times, how come they couldn't remember that in the moment? I've never been guilty of forgetting something that I've heard lots of times. How about you? And in the stress and the strain of that moment, they didn't see it. But as soon as those angels spoke to them, suddenly they remembered. That's right. He said this was going to happen. Later on, when Jesus meets with the men on the road to Emmaus, just a little bit further down, in verse 25, he says to them, because they're talking about, remember, they don't recognize Jesus at this moment. They're talking with him about what's taking place. And they're just confused about what's going on. And these women have come back and said that he's risen and alive. We just don't know what's going on. And he said to them, how foolish are you? And how slow to believe all, the prophet, all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. And we see that when he goes and has the meal with them, He opens the scriptures to them, and suddenly they can understand. And then when he breaks bread with them, they recognize him. And then he's gone. And they talk about, didn't our hearts burn within us when he was speaking to us? How did we not recognize him? How do we not remember this? And they run back to Jerusalem to go tell everybody else. And then when Jesus meets them in the upper room, he said to them, what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. He was risen. It was the last thing that he had to show them. I have victory over death. I've got it all. In Revelation, he says, I hold the keys. I hold the keys to death and to Hades. Hades. He has victory over it all. He has power over it all. Everything that he said that he would do is true. Even the last thing, that he had to be raised to life again on the third day, it's true. He wasn't a ghost. As Pastor Dan and Lucy, is it, told us today, they could put their hands in the holes, the fingers in his hole, they could put it in the hole on his side. Because He's real. He could eat. He could be with them. He could walk with them. He could talk with them. And He did. He has victory over death. And He didn't just do it as a stunt. He did it because resurrection, His resurrection, is the certification that everything that He says about Himself and who He is and about the Father and the kingdom is true. Everything He said about you, that if you believe in Him, you'll have eternal life and you'll have new life in him is true because of the resurrection. Without the resurrection, we're wasting our time. But because of the resurrection, you have access to life in the Father. Jesus says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's abundant life. It's super abundant life. You can have life in Christ. It doesn't matter whatever circumstance you're in. It doesn't matter what pain you're in. It doesn't matter what you've experienced or what you are experiencing in the present. You have life that is eternal. You have a wellspring of life that can be coming up inside you that is from a completely different dimension. You've got one foot in this reality and you have another foot in the real reality, which is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus lived out of that reality consistently and constantly throughout His time here on earth. He showed us what it looks like to be in surrender to the Father, to be in relationship with Him. He showed us what it looks like to have our will surrendered to Him, to have His abundant life moving through us, to declare the riches of the kingdom, to declare the glories of our Father in heaven. Be completely surrendered to His will. Jesus knew what was going to be met with Him on the cross. And in Gethsemane, three times He asks, Father, if there's another way, tell me, tell me. Because He knew that weight was going to come on Him. That darkness that covered the land was going to come on Him. He knew He was going to have to bear that. He felt that. It wasn't just because He's God. He wasn't subjected to it. No, He felt every ounce of that thing. For you and for me so that we would have freedom, so that we would have access to this life. John 3.16 God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him, whoever, it doesn't matter what you've done, because He already bought that whole thing with His blood on the cross. The blood of Jesus pays the price for everything. Everything. There's not a single thing that He didn't pay the price for. There's nothing you can do, nothing you've ever done that He didn't pay the price for. That whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. I love this. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. You are a new creation in Christ. You are born again. You are born again of the spirit and not of the flesh. You have access to a completely different life. You have access to the same power that raised him from the dead, giving you life. And Paul in Galatians 2, 20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The blood of goats, the blood of bulls, the blood of lambs could never do that. Only the blood of Jesus only the blood of Jesus, hallelujah. We are all given the opportunity in our lives to actually be alive. And that life is only found in Jesus Christ. See, before you come to Him, you're dead sins and your trespasses. You don't have you don't have a choice about that. You think that you're your own person, that you're ruling your life, that you're leading your life. Every breath that you have is a gift from Him. And you have an enemy that actually controls you. Scripture says that we're slaves to sin. But when we come to Christ, we find new life in Him. We find freedom to live in righteousness in Him. We all have the choice. And my exhortation to you today is this, be alive. Be alive. Choose to be alive. Choose Jesus. Be alive. you live abundant life. If you're in Christ and you're living below your inheritance, be alive. You have access to the Father. You have access to the same power that rose Jesus from the grave. He sent His Holy Spirit to baptize you, to empower you for the ministry that He has given you, to animate the gifts that He has predestined for you to carry since before the dawn of time. Be alive. Did we give out communion cups today? Yes? Can I grab one real quick? I'll stall a little bit so we can... I got one. Thank you, sir. We can get those passed out at home. Now's your cue. Go get your communion together. Here at our Father's house, we practice an open communion. That means anybody here is able to practice communion with us. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you would like to start that journey with Him, you'd like to surrender your life to Him, become His disciple, and accept the payment that He made for your sin, because the payment's been made, but you still have to choose to follow Him. You still have to choose to say, Jesus, I acknowledge and recognize and believe that you died for me, for, the, for my sins, and that you were raised to life again on the third day. I choose to step out of darkness into light and follow you. That you be my Lord and my King, and that you would rule and reign in my heart. Until you do that, you're still in darkness. If you've not yet received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'd like to pray with you afterwards. I'm going to be over here by this tree. And I'd like to pray with you. If you're a Christian already, if you're a follower of Christ, but you've been wayward, you've had some challenges, you've fallen away, I've been there. You can rededicate your life to the Lord, you can recommit yourself to the Lord, and I would encourage you to do so today. His arms are still wide open to you. He still wants to empower you. I'd like to pray with you if you're in that place and you say, yes, today, I want to recommit my life to the Lord. I want to pray with you. Again, over here at that tree. Right now, we're going to take communion. See, this communion is done to remind us of His body that was torn open for us. He goes on in, in chapter 10 of of Hebrews to recognize that we now have the opportunity to come into the most holy place because the veil is torn in His flesh to give us access to the Father. See, He tore the the physical veil from top to bottom. It was torn, but His His side was open to receive us back in. This wafer, bread, Oreo cookie, whatever it is you have, represents his body. It's broken for us. This juice This is the wine represents the blood of the new covenant. His precious blood was poured out for you that he carried with him into the most holy place, making them the perfect sacrifice that no one else could do. He finished the race. He won. He has the victory. And it's the blood of Jesus that washes you clean. It's the blood of Jesus, the only thing, that is enough for every sin you've ever committed and ever will commit. Thank you, Jesus. Say with me right now, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, today, we thank you that you sent your Son to die for our sins. God, I know that he took my place on that cross and everyone else the weight of all that sin, the weight of all that shame, all that hurt, all that pain was upon Him. And I thank You, Lord, that the blood is enough. The blood is enough for everything. I thank You, Jesus, for suffering and dying in my place. And I thank You that You rose to life again to show that it was enough and that we can have life in You. Hallelujah. Lord, help us to live our lives in You to the glory of our Father, that we would spread Your Gospel, the good news of the Kingdom, to the world. Lord, that You give us the strength and the power and the focus, Lord, and the commitment to go wherever it is that you send us, to speak the words that you give us, the words of life, words of truth, so that others can enter in to the same promise. Thank you for a new and living way. In Jesus' name, amen. Take, eat, and drink. you need prayer today, as I've offered before, come join us over here at the base of the tree. I'm going to pray for you. Who needs healing in their body this morning? Does anybody need healing in their body? Just raise your hand. Your mother. Yeah. Yeah. Those of you who are around, those that have raised their hands, I just ask for you to extend your hands toward one another. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for your healing to come. We thank you, Jesus, that you, as we've declared today, have power over death. You have power over sickness. You have power over every illness, every infirmity, every dysfunction that is in our bodies that is outside of your design for us. Father, you have power over that. So by the name of Jesus, I speak healing and declare healing to each of these bodies. Everything that is out of order, Lord, we declare right now back into order. We command order in the name of Jesus. Jesus, you are the Prince of Peace. You destroy the authority that establishes disorder. Father, we pray right now by the blood of the Lamb that you would bring healing and release and freedom to the captives. Hallelujah. 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 In Jesus' mighty name, amen. We're going to release you now. Thank you to everybody who's been here today. We're not done yet here on site. We're going to ask that you take your chairs, bring them back up to the top of the hill so we can scatter the rest of the eggs. The wind's picking up now, my goodness. So we can scatter the rest of these eggs and these kids can do this egg hunt. We have ice cream waiting up, up here at the top of the hill for the kids as well. Oh, we have ice cream for adults, too. Today's your lucky day. Turns out Jesus loves you. If you need prayer, I ask you to come over here to the base of the tree and love to pray with you. God bless you. Thanks to everybody online. See you soon. Happy Easter!